You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. My name is Matt Walsh. Joining me, Jake Michaels. How are you going, Jake, this uh, chilly Melbourne afternoon? Yeah, good. Uh, Just behind me, it is bucketing down as we speak. So I don't know where that came from, actually. It has come from nowhere. I I noticed that. I think I've got to go and take my clothes off the line. <laughs> if you need to go do that while we introduce Neil Seawang. Uh, Neil, I believe it was actually snowing up in, in your neck of the woods. Yeah, much excitement in our house this morning when it started snowing. Uh, well, a couple of young kids, they would be very excited. <laughs> well, uh, he wasn't actually as excited as, as my, my wife and I, who were sort of running around taking videos and sending it to our family and friends. Um, <laughs> it actually was settling on the ground, which was an experience I haven't had you know, in a city before. So it was pretty fun. Hold on, aren't you from Tasmania? Didn't you see that every every couple of weeks? Up on the mountain, yeah. I don't think I ever saw it settle on the ground. So, um, yeah, it's crazy to think I've moved somewhere colder than Hobart. Yeah, funny that. Uh, Christian Jolly from Champion Data. It's going to be a big episode for you, what we've got lined up. Uh, I'll introduce that segment a bit later. But how are you going after a weekend of non-stop footy? Yeah, good. Uh, still going. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, trying to get through it. But uh, no, typical, typical Melbourne. So there's the four of us. It's quite sunny here at the moment so the rain's passed and the sun's out so i think it's coming towards you actually i think it sort of heads in that direction so keep an eye out maybe uh, by the time we're done with this podcast yeah. it might be bucketing down where I you are as well <laughs> that's it um well i guess well yeah you touched on it. footy frenzy it's it's right upon us now we had footy last night footy tonight footy tomorrow and, and this is relevant uh whether you're listening today on tuesday on wednesday or thursday or, or later in the week because you know, that's just where we are, 33 games in 20 days. And as always, there is plenty to talk about. But before we get into the nitty-gritty, fellas, something that might have caught your attention from the week of footy that we might not get to cover today. Jake, have you brought your washing in? And can you let us know what you uh, saw on the weekend that took your eye? Well, it's probably something that's caught my eye over the course of the season, but I sort of noticed it again um, this round was Brayden Maynard. I, I think he's taken an enormous step in terms of his ability and output he's one of Collingwood's most important players now and standing up really well in, def- in a really depleted defense um could I, I'll pose this could he could he make the all-australian team he's been given, I think he could certainly make the squad he has I, been impressive he's been given a lot of big tasks this season uh, and and come out as you say Jake either breaking even with some of the comps best um best midfielders and attackers or or, or beating them and um, for, you're right, for what he's doing in a, in a Collingwood backline, which is normally quite unsettled, and I know that they lost on a weekend. Um, he's they... looked good in every game this year, just about. He's, mm. he's kind of gone from a bit of a battler, no disrespect, to, to a really, really top-notch um, half-back player. So, really impressed with him this year. For sure, for sure. Neil, uh, something that might have caught your attention? Yeah, much to my chagrin, I saw the first signs that the coach was seriously under pressure. Um, and it wasn't such the loss um, from Melbourne against Port Adelaide, which was horrific in itself. But it was the comments by the president um, after the game who really took the, the whole club to task. And he said that, it, you know, it wasn't acceptable. Um, you know, there, it was really strong comments. Um, and I think that puts everyone under the microscope. It'll probably put players under the microscope. And I think it was the first time that someone from authority within Melbourne has publicly put pressure on, on the coach, Simon Goodwin. Um, so he does have another two years to go after this year on his contract. So financially, I'm not sure whether Melbourne can actually do anything. Um, but the, certainly the first time I've seen a coach be put under significant pressure this season. 
a question without notice because you are a Melbourne fan. Have you been satisfied with what you're seeing from Goody regardless of the results with what he's actually implementing on game day? Not really. And there's probably two, without wanting to delve too deeply on, on this short and sharp um, uh, session that we've got here, but there's two things I don't like um, what I've seen with Goodwin. One is the repetition in the way that Melbourne lose. Um, if Even in the prelim final year of two years ago, the losses were very similar and the losses from last year and this year were all very, very similar. The pattern to beat Melbourne is compete in the inside, contested ball, clearances, tackles. If you can break even, you'll, get, you'll smash them on the outside. Um, and that's just happening time and time again when Melbourne lose. Um, and the other aspect is I just don't see any players improve and maybe, you know, we all see Petraka this year, but he might be on his own. I think everyone else has plateaued or taken a step backwards. Mm, dire times at the Ds and, and you just get the feeling if they lose this week, things are going to get uh, turned up another notch. I got the Crows. Yeah, who knows? Christian, something uh, maybe a bit more upbeat uh, from you, <laughs> uh, something that might have caught your attention we might miss? Uh, yeah, it seems so long ago and probably... Um, Come around again, we might see it again tonight, but Dusty Martin last week against uh, the Bulldogs, just when he's having games like that, footy just looks easy. Just mm. The way he can uh, control the ball in the air, win one-on-one contest, run through a stoppage, pick the ball up cleanly, hit targets 50 metres away. Um, yeah, just an, an enjoyment to watch. And again, I think that was yeah probably seven days ago now, so it seems like a long time ago, but I think that was uh, one of the highlights of the round for me. For sure, for sure. Mine always a little bit less serious than your guys, uh, than, than what you guys bring up. But I, last night, Mitch Wallace uh, got sent off with the blood rule. <laughs> and he was lining up for what would have been the biggest gimme goal from about 15 metres out. And he's sort of trying to walk back on his mark. And the umpire calls him over and says, no, mate, you've got to go off. Um, and instead of just handing the ball to his teammate, he spikes it on the ground, has a bit of a tantrum and storms <laughs> off. So he's, um, he's missed out on, on a goal on a goal stat there and no doubt some AFL so, player. Around. I might be wrong, but didn't that happen to him the week before? Yes, yes. Yeah, really so, yeah. That was the week before exactly the same thing happened at yeah. the same spot. Mm, yeah. uh, so he's a bit stiff. And <laughs> him the team to sort of apply pressure and win, win you know, goals from his tackling and that, and that's what he's trying to do. And, I felt like he was trying to hide it last night as well. He had his hand up there for quite a while. And he sort of turned around and jumped by. Look, he sort of went, ah, oh, busted. His reaction uh, was yeah, gold. <laughs> no one likes missing out on kicking certain goals. <laughs> no, that's it, isn't it? I mean, you're kind of stiff. And if it happens for a second week in a row, I, I can't say I wouldn't have done the same. So uh, poor old Mitch, maybe he'll get the chance uh, in his next game to, to rectify that and get on the scoreboard. Um, all right, let's move into the nitty gritty. As I said, we mentioned it off the top, but this is going to be a little bit of a different podcast because we've always got a lot of questions for champion data and, and you specifically Christian, because there's always so much going on in our game. Uh, and a lot of the time we sort of gloss over things or we, we don't quite uh, fully answer questions or there's a lot of assumed knowledge that comes with footy. So throughout uh, the week, we put it to uh, Twitter with the hashtag ask champion data, basically, uh, asking the punters to come up with any questions that they might have for you that they aren't quite sure about uh, when it comes to how you guys do your business, basically. Uh, and we've got a list of about uh, ooh, nine or 10 really good questions here that we're going to get through. Um, so that's going to make up the bulk of the podcast today. And I've got to say, I'm actually really excited because there are some really good questions and there's some stuff here that people definitely won't know. So um, if you're ready, we're just going to bombard you. Yeah. <laughs> got a glass of water handy, Christian. <laughs> That's it. All right, well, I'll kick us off. Uh, this one is from Joseph Mascaro. He asks, if the defence kicks backwards into their defensive 50, does it count as an inside 50 for the other team or only if it's turned over and possessed inside the forward 50? And then secondly, sorry, 
double barrel question. Does a goal from outside 60 metres or outside 50 metres count as an inside 50? Yep. So hopefully I'm not saying this to all of them, but that's a good question. That first part of that question, I mean, is still we still get that question from clubs sometimes as well. Um, so sometimes, you know, it's not clear exactly what the definition, uh, definition is. Uh, but no, so if the defensive team goes backwards and he's just going around in uncontested marks um, and goes all the way back to your goal square, there's no inside 50 recorded for the attacking team until they get involved in a play. So all they need to do is have a spoil, uh, a tackle. If the ball goes out of bounds from a team going backwards and they actually kick it out of bounds at the other team touching it, then we record an inside 50 because, again, the inside 50 stat is recorded for when your team has had an opportunity to create a contest or win the ball inside your forward 50. So uh, no to the first part of the question. If you're kicking, if one team's kicking backwards, the other team won't get an inside 50 until they get involved in the play. Uh, and the second part is, yes, um, a goal from outside 60, 50, whatever. It, it has to cross the 50-metre uh, line first, so it, record, it becomes an uh, inside 50. So um, we have, you know, all these rules built in capture. You can't have a score without going inside 50. So, again, if the opposition goes backwards all the way and accidentally spills it over your behind line and you get a score, we have to record a team inside 50 first and then, a, and then that rush behind um, just so everything balances. So... Right. So if you're a, if you're a stat patter, you you might sort of think, geez, if I can launch one from 51 meters instead of 49, I'll get two stats instead of just the one if I kick a goal. Correct. And and but the thing with inside 50s, there um again we use ratings and rankings and all that. The actual inside 50 and rebound 50 stat have no value. So it's it's more of a bookmark. The ball has crossed the line here. The ball has crossed the line there. So even though inside 50s appear in stat tables and we record them for players, um. Again, in terms of when we value a player's game, the fact that they're getting the ball in the forward half and finding a, a possession in the forward 50, that's all calculated in ratings and you get high points for hitting targets in the forward line. But to cross that actual red or blue line or whatever colour it is on the ground you're playing, that, that's not actually worth any value to your super coach points, ranking points, rating points or anything like that. So it is very much a bookmark stat of now the ball is in your forward line and ready to be won again. Cool. All right. Um, I'll jump in here. I've got a question which doesn't have a name to it. So apologies to the um, for not giving credit to this. But the question is, does champion data measure how long players run between bounces and how often do players run well beyond the 15 metres between bounces? So, yeah, unfortunately, we, we don't record uh, where running bounce is actually taken. So, again, um, again going back to the the premise of champion data on what we do. So we record stats to help teams win or to record, you know, what helps teams win and coaches win. So that's that's the top level of why we record the stats. Um, they're great for fantasy games. They're great for stat tables. They're great for, you know, talking around the water cooler. But every stat and everything we design is basically, is it going to help a team win, um, win a game? So again, we plot, um, I think there's about 40 or 50 stats that we do plot. Uh, running bounces isn't one of them because sort of, it doesn't really matter where you actually touch the ball on the ground. We've decided that, you know, it's basically where you started with the ball and where you kick it is what value you get. So again, it would be interesting to know how often uh, players get away with running 20, 30 metres. And I'm sure visually we could sort of guess it and work it out, but it's not something we actively record just because it's more of a quirk. It'd be nice to know. But again, the more important thing is where did the player start and where did he dispose of the ball? It doesn't really matter how many bounces or how many times the ball touched the ground in, in that time. Can we lobby you to get some more fun stats on board? Because that would be fascinating to know. I reckon, I reckon about 85% of players who have more than one running bounce would, would run well beyond the, the measured 15 metres. They'd be going 30 metres. There are some where they bounce it 
maybe once inside between between 50s if they're yeah, running. Yeah, I've, like, I've seen Buddy Franklin, I think, have two bounces from centre-half forward to the goal square. It's like, that must even work out. That'd be right. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I think it's interesting, Christian, um, that you mentioned the premise of Champion Data, like the fact that it was built, it is built, and the, the main premise of the company is to um, incorporate stats to help clubs and the at that level of footy. And I think a lot of people, including myself, forget that that's why you guys are actually in operation. It's the fact that you are mapping stats and building these algorithms to help clubs, you know, work out how to best play the game. Correct. That's a, that's the starting point. And as I said, from there, it feeds, you know, the, the first of the public and then, you know, first for information and things like that. But again, when we decide what to record, when to record it, how we were going to record it, it all comes back to how is that going to help in terms of, you know, analysing a game and helping winning. And as I said, we do record running bounces and we know how many you've had and what zone they're in. We just don't know exactly at what part of your run you had that running bounce. Cool. Jake? Uh, let's uh, go to the next one. We've got another one here. Uh, why, why isn't there a wider array of stats uh, that may appeal to... To, to people more freely available, stuff like kick-ins, types of clearances, scores from different plays are a few that come to mind. And this question comes to us from someone named Baked Beans. <laughs> it's not Shane Warne's pseudonym, is it? <laughs> Interesting name. Um, so again, this one, I mean, it's a hot topic with the public and as I just mentioned in the previous answer, that thirst for um, access. Uh, so again, probably top level where, you know, we're a wholesaler. So we, we deliver those stats to whoever asks for them. So again, it's more about, um, it's not that they're hidden or exclusive or we don't want to release it. It's just probably clients that are presenting the stats and showing match centers have decided that, you know, it's not going to be part of their, their front facing match center or, um, you know, for different reasons or various reasons. So, again, we um, work with all our broadcast partners, whether that's all the uh, TV channels that broadcast the game, radio stations, websites. Um, and, again, everything's available to them. We sort of, you know, we sat down with you guys at the start of the year and sort of suggested um, what stats might be, you know, useful and to change in the match centre. But, again, it's all up to the front-facing client of what you see. So, again, we get a lot of... Um, you know, not a lot of it, but a bit of vitriol from social media. Of, you know, why is it so hard to get this stat? You guys are just money hungry. It's like, well, no, we've, that's, that's probably, you know, sitting with a client. They just haven't built it into their match centre or don't think it's interesting enough to display for every game. So, um, yeah, a bit of a tricky one and a bit of a commercial answer, but that's sort of the way it goes. We sort of offer up all of our stats to our commercial partners and uh, whatever's published, published out there is up to, up to those media partners. Well, it is quite interesting because, you know, you said before that an inside 50 doesn't exactly mean that much. It's just more of a mapping of where the ball is on the ground. Yet, you'd be crazy to not have inside 50s on a stats page, an AFL stats page. Like, everyone just has it. So, it's a little bit of follow the leader in terms of everyone just has the same sort of stuff. Um, it's not to say that there's not other stuff out there. It's kind of like top 40 music as opposed yeah. to alternative musical. There's yeah. other stuff out there, but no one else is really interested in it. Yeah. So the good, um, probably the best example, the most, you know, one of the recent examples is we have kicking efficiency. So in 1999, when we started, we recorded, basically kicking efficiency is, um, it's more of a, it's, a, it's an execution measure, but it's also a decision-making measure. So if you go short, I think we've discussed this, if you go short less than 30, 40 metres to a one-on-one and your teammate marks it, 
you'll get an effective kick. If they get spoiled, you get an ineffective kick because you've taken that risk of going short to a contest. Um, and if it doesn't come off, then we've got ineffective. So, um, you know, a little bit of greyness there and sort of thing. But then we have another measure, which has come in probably 10 years later in 2009, 2010, which is retention rate, which measures from your kick or your handball, how often does your team win the next possession? Um, so again, they can work in reverse. You can have an ineffective kick that was sort of a bad one and went to a pack, but your team won the next possession. So you get 100% retention rate, 0% effectiveness. Um, and it's, it is, it's effective disposals and kicking efficiency. It's the one that everyone knows. It's, it's already in stat tables. It's, it's used most on TV or the TV graphics or the newspapers or the stat table that you see. But again, clubs are probably looking a bit more at retention right now. We've sort of offered to, you know, change stat tables to be retention rate. But exa exactly that. No one wants to be the only one displaying retention rate and everyone's else got efficiency rates and looking different and confusing it. So again, it's, there's just probably so much out there that, again, it's just up to the clients to keep them more streamlined and, again, try to keep everyone on the same page. And, um, but, yeah, it is, there's, there's a myriad of stats that sort of um, you can use it either one way or another way. And, again, it's probably the clubs that, with the ultimate power that know exactly what they want to measure and which stat they want to use to measure what they're trying to um, use for success. You just get the feeling that um, if one outlet does put forward, for instance, you know, scores from different kind of players, whether it's like scores from stoppages or whatever, like everyone else will have that within two years. And the same with retention rate. If someone does put it up, um, the, people are going to focus on it and then everyone else will have it. So like you just get the feeling that if someone does is the first domino to fall, um, yeah. there could be some more, um, Jake, as you say, alternative stats yeah. put out there. And we've seen it with things like meters gained and yeah. um, spot on meters gained. Pressure now is is the is the thing everyone loves talking about. So there's every year there generally is one or two new stats. Well, they're not new, but they're just new to the In public, vogue. and then everyone starts talking about them. Um, so yeah, when you talk about pressure, um, because Fox brought in that pressure gauge on on their broadcast, I've seen so many people asking how how that's measured. Uh, and I'll give us just a little plug to one of our episodes from last year where we explained in detail basically what the pressure rating is and how it is um, how it is brought up. So if you are keen to find out more, we've got a dedicated segment on it uh, from a podcast earlier in the year. You've just got to sort of search back through. I think it's in the title. I think we call it Dissecting Pressure. So if you're keen for that, make sure you check it out. Uh, next question. This is a bit niche, but are rushed behinds accounted for in the expected score calculation and possibly related I've found that the average expected score is a few points greater than the average actual score. Why might that be, asks Roland Allen. Yeah, so with the rush behinds, it's a very, very good pickup, and it's one that's sort of been discussed and debated. When you create a stat, you create it one way, and there is, you know, there's, someone can go, well, hang on, you could have a definite, you know, define the stat this way. So rush behinds aren't included in the expected scores because basically a rush behind for us is you've had a shot for goal, it's gone to the goal line, and someone has forced it through with a spoil or a fist through. So it hasn't just slid off hands. It hasn't, your kick hasn't continually traveled through the goals or behinds and just been touched. It's actually been forced through. So we've sort of decided, well, the shot that you initially took, it missed. Even though it resulted in one point, it only resulted in one point because of another action, whether it was from the opposition or... Uh, so again, yeah, it's one that you could probably do another formula where you include that if you have a shot for goal and it lands a metre out and gets spoiled through, it is counted as one point from that kick, but eh, at the moment they're, they're counted as zero. Um, in terms of the scores being higher and that, I'd have to look into it and find out where that is. But yeah, most of the time it should, again, without the rush behind sort of um, coming into it, it should balance out. So 
Yep. I've got one and I seem to be the um, person without um, getting any, um, any names on the edge, end of the question. So again, <laughs> apologies to whoever wrote this. Um, how much of the formula changes from year to year, for example, scaling changes, new recorded stats, et cetera? So again, I think I assume this one's a bit more leaning to rankings. Um, and again, that's probably an interesting one for us. So again, go back to day dot. Uh, 1999 I think one of the biggest selling points for champion data going into clubs um, and even into the media was having this one number to measure a player's performance and that was ranking points um, so again it was designed with all the factors of what wins a game of football um, so winning a contested possession was likely worth more than winning an uncontested possession to win a game of football so a player would get more points for that um, effective kicks obviously worth more than a clanger kick and you know, everything was valued. So now that's been turned into a full-blown uh, fantasy game with Supercoach. Um, and again, I think everyone's under the impression that everything we do is basically built for the fantasy thing. But when we have changed the formula, we've released it. Um, hasn't changed year by year. It's only really changed um, probably three or four times in the last 10 years with some of the new stats, like um, Hit Out Sharks. I know we changed the value of those. Um, for close games, we sort of changed the rating values of those a little bit. Um, but again, not, not really. And again, it's one of those things that we sort of do see in social media and some of the inquiries, emails we get of how we just change the ranking system to suit certain players. And we just love these players in Supercoach. That's why they get certain points. It's like, well, every single one of our stat callers, there's a formula that was built in 99 that's been tinkered with that sits in the back end. We call the stats at a granular level, one by one. And I can, I'll do the same thing. I can call a whole game of football, turn to the rankings and look at the points and go, wow, how did you get that? It hasn't, even though I called all the stats, it has nothing to do with me because it's the formula that's working out what that stat was valued at that part of the game, et cetera, et cetera. So it is quite funny that people just think we sit there and go, yeah, danger field, let's give him 100 points for that quarter because it was pretty good. Um, you know, and then because they say, you know, someone like Lockie Fogarty will do the same thing. The champion data don't know who he is, so they just give him 10 points and that's why Dangerfield gets all the points. So like, well... No, every stat we called for that you're quoting for Lockie Fogarty of why he should have got 100 points. We called those stats too. So <laughs> we didn't do anything wrong or right. It's just, yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting that the people think that, yeah, the ranking points have a lot of manual intervention or change year by year. Uh, they haven't changed much in recent years. We've publicised every time they are. And the reason uh, that ratings exist, and I keep talking about the two measures, is because rating takes, all that, that rating takes into account pressure and all the new capture systems that we've introduced since 99. Whereas ranking is very much, we're able to easily compare a 2000 game to a 2020 game because it's it hasn't changed very much. So just going to jump in there as well. We did discuss the difference between rating points and ranking points also on another podcast from last year. If you're oh, keen, a few, so a few plugs. Check that out because <laughs> hey, we've covered a fair bit, um, and there might be people who are new to the podcast that might be wondering these sorts of things. So um, especially for sure, go back if people and, want more than that. A two-minute answer. Those, those topics that we've gone deep into, they're, they're really extensive answers as opposed to just a quick sort of top-line response from Christian. Absolutely. The next question <laughs> comes from uh, Matthew Goad, I think it's, think it's pronounced. Uh, do downfield free kicks receive extra rating point penalties like what 50-metre penalties do, or are they penalised like regular frees against? Does that make sense for you, Christian? Uh, it did until you said the freeze against at the end, but I think I know what he's asking. So, uh, again, this is probably one of the uh, – probably 2007, 2008. It was a change. Um, so, if you kick the ball 
got pushed in the back after you kicked it and the ball's paid down free up until about 2006 or seven. That was an extra one or two ranking points because it was another free kick. Um, we sort of sat down and made the call that when we looked at free kicks, um, and again, it was a coach that challenged us on this. I think Mark Williams was in charge of Port Adelaide at the time and said, a free kick for champion data is a contested possession, which it was. Um, and he kept losing a contested possession. And he goes, well, if you take out all the free kicks, we basically break even. So we looked at free kicks and he was probably right. You know, there wasn't a high number, but there's five or six free kicks that aren't actually contested possessions in the end. So down the freeze is a good one. You've already kicked the ball. You've just been pushed in the back late. You haven't won the ball again. The ball wasn't up for contest between Port Adelaide and their opposition again. Um, so we created a new stat and it's called a free four in possession. So you get a free four for your team, but you don't get another contested possession. You don't get any ranking points or rating points. So um, no, and after disposal, free kick won't count um, as any ranking or rating points for that player. Um, it'll, it'll count to your free kick count, uh, but you've already done the work. Um, it'll go to the negative. So again, the free against player, definitely they'll get the negative because they've given away a free kick and given away an easier free kick down the field. Uh, but no extra value for the free four player because he's he's done all of his work sort of thing already. Just to go a little bit further with that, um, slightly different. But if you if you um, if you have the ball and you kick it and then you get a free kick, but it's not downfield, it comes back to you and you then have another kick. Are you getting two disposals there, or or does the first kick that you had when you got tackled or, pu- or pushed in the back not count anymore? Yeah, so that won't count anymore. So there's a, there's a few stats where it's basically we'll call it based on what the umpire does. So a mark, we can't pay a mark unless the umpire blows his whistle and tells us it's a mark. So we can clearly see one if we can hear the umpire call play on, we won't record a mark. Uh, this is the same sort of thing. The umpire is now deemed that you've kicked the ball, but it happened at the same time. He's now going to give you another kick at the same position. So we sort of lean towards, well, the umpire's deemed that that play didn't count. You didn't gain 50 metres. The ball never left this area. So you'll get your possession. However you want it, it was a hard ball get. However you want it, will stay. Uh, but you just get another chance at your disposal. So, again, it's if the umpire ends up paying downfield, um, someone takes a kick 40 metres away, we pay the kick because the umpire's decided, well, the kick counted, you've gained 40 metres, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, yeah, it comes back to the same spot. It doesn't count as the, the first disposal won't count. Interesting. Uh, I've got a good one here. Neil, you might resonate. It might, this one might resonate with you. This one has caught my eye. Is, is there a measurement for effective inside 50s? If so, how is it decided? And is Melbourne the worst side ever at it? And that comes from Neil, from, no, Adam from Demon. <laughs> um, I, I did see this one. I, I, I think it came in either during the Melbourne Port Adelaide game or probably, you know, just after. So I, I felt that it might have been a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but Fell for the guy when I actually looked into the numbers. So I can oh, say, yes, do measure inside 50s. Um, and again, a myriad of ways. Um, but the easiest one without going into a 30-minute, 40-minute spiel of how to measure inside 50s is how often do you score when you go inside 50? If you have 10 entries and one score, you've scored from 10% of entries. So uh, this year, Melbourne have scored from 35% of their inside 50s, uh, which is on track to be the lowest ever recorded. <laughs> Um, and this is a stat that we've been recording since 1999. So again, it doesn't go back, you know, to historic. Wow. But, but they, they, the D's have also been quite high at um, just getting inside 50s. Like last year, they were putting up ridiculous numbers. Sometimes mm. they were putting up 70 inside 50s a game and, and kicking nine goals five. So, so that's, that's the it, interesting point you make. They're on track to beat their record, which was set last year by 2019 Melbourne. So that was the previous low <laughs> last year. But a little bit of an asterisk next time. They are still on track to be the lowest, but 
the we are now seeing with Adelaide and Frio down with them. Uh, if they all stay at where they are at about 35, 30% score per inside 50, that'll be the three lowest percentages we've ever seen. But again, uh, Jake, sorry, we've got another plug for an earlier episode, but I think earlier this year we spoke about that was the one stat. It's getting harder for everyone to score once inside yes. 50. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that by the end of the year, we could see the three worst inside 50 entry teams um, being playing this season with Melbourne, Adelaide and Rio currently bottom three. So... Yeah, as I said, I think that query is a bit tongue-in-cheek, but at the moment, yes, if you wanted to look at Melbourne's uh, ability to score once inside 50, it is. It's one of the lowest we've uh, ever recorded. Grim. Which is, I guess, why, uh, you know, that your question at the top of the show, Matt, was, you know, why have I been so disappointed in Simon Goodwin? It's the fact yeah. that that pattern has repeated itself over and over. Last year, Melbourne mm-hmm. was the worst in history, and this year, Melbourne looked like they're going to be even worse than that. So, um, yeah, not ideal. Yeah, more quality entries instead of just banging it in there, it seems. And better forwards to take advantage of it or a better system. But anyway, let's not make this a Melbourne podcast. Um, uh, The next question from Peter Brown. Um, I'm looking forward to this one. How come there's so much difference in the recording of tackles? Some weeks a finger on a Guernsey is one and the next a full tackle with a ball up goes unrewarded. Yeah, so again, tackles are probably easily um, the most misunderstood uh, stat and champion data. Um, and it is, again, keep going back to the original days of 1999. I do know that um, I wasn't with the company then, but I've heard it spoken that they did sit down with a lot of the coaches back then and, you know, people in football to work out the definitions of thing. And tackles was one of the ones that was hotly debated of what a tackle should be recorded as uh, and when do you record a tackle. So for us, uh, a tackle is only recorded when you stop a possession from happening. So someone goes to pick up the ball from the ground and you tackle them and, cause a ball up or the ball spills free, or you dispossess someone that has taken possession of the ball, so they're running down the wing, obviously you chase them, you know, grab them and they lose possession, it's usually holding the ball. And the third one is you have to affect this uh, disposal that someone's uh, doing. So again, the guy gets swung 360 degrees and snaps it on the boot and it goes straight to a teammate's chest, um, you won't get a tackle recorded for that. So no matter how much visually it looks like, how well that guy has tried and everything, um, he doesn't get a tackle in the tackle column. And that's been consistent since 1999, since champion data was around. So, um, again, can't talk much to the stats before um, champion data was around. But, again, the game was so open. I don't think there was as much uh, what we see now is physical pressure acts that actually where players are getting the ball free out of stoppages. I think, again, probably if you look back in the 80s, the tackles, that were, when they were being laid, there was only 20 or 30 tackles a game. Most of them were, you know, they mattered. They either one holding the ball or caused the guy to kick it out in the full. So, again, more skilled players. They're hitting more targets under immense pressure. Um, and, again, it goes back to why we introduced pressure in 2009. So, now we, we know every time you've got your hands on someone what they've been able to do. So, um, we record all physical pressure acts. So, every time you swing someone around and they hit the target, you do get a physical pressure act. You just won't get a tackle as, um, as everyone knows it. So, Again, just a broad line number, 64% tackle efficiency across competition this year. So 36% of, sorry, yeah, 36% of the time people are saying we're missing tackles. They're actually either free kicks against or the ball's actually gone effectively to, you know, to a teammate. So um, I think, yeah, that's probably the biggest one is uh, if tackles, if we were recording uh, every single attempt, there'd be, as I said, um, up to 40, 50 more tackles per game. But Again, you've got to laugh, even hear it from commentators when when a team, and I think Jude Bolton, who I know does a lot of work with you guys, 
I think he almost holds the record still for about 24 tackles. And um, again, I've been accused of maybe the person working that day was just into tackles more than everyone else. But um, because everything come back to the Melbourne office, it's basically every year and we've had a rolling thing of about four or five main full-timers have been involved in every game. Uh, we all sit together all week long, talk about it. So we're all pretty much on the same page. But to increase consistency, yes, we have a different caller in the in calling it live, but back in Melbourne, it's always the same four or five people. So tackles don't change game by game, week to week, caller by caller. Um, but it is, it's all about, again, sometimes it's just luck whether that guy hits the target or not with his disposal. So um, again, yeah, a lot of the times we get hit up about missed tackles and you see the handball just go straight to a guy running past you. Like, that's never been recorded as a tackle. And yeah, so. That is interesting. No Another one here. Theory. <laughs> Another one here from the Rebound Fifty, uh, and it's about Ruckman, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, is there a metric used to measure hitouts, hit out to advantage success rate, i.e., how often Ruckman are being sharked by opposing mids? Yep, yep. So did we do? And uh, again, I think I just mentioned a little bit earlier, hit out sharked. I think was again was created about two thousand six or seven as a stat that we actually physically record we're sort of missing it before then but yeah we can um you know work out that i think max scorn was about um 32 percent of the time he gets his hands to the ball goes straight to a melbourne player so if you're here to advantage um, i think top made it was about 14 or 16 percent of the time it goes straight to the opposition player um you know it doesn't necessarily have to get to him on the full but a clean possession so that's a shark so again from your hit outs probably from Max Gorn as an example, only 40 or 50% are going, going cleanly into someone's hands. Um, but the rest of the time it's falling to the ground and going to a pack and a scramble and that's just a neutral hit out. It's not to advantage or uh, sharp. But yeah, we sort of um, do record as much as we can with hit outs. The next thing we've looked at we still haven't got to is uh, direction of hit outs. So one of the ones I've thrown up is uh, the hit out, at, was it a 12 o'clock hit out or a 6 o'clock hit out or a 9 o'clock hit out? So... Again, we, we haven't got to that detail yet, but it's something we've always thrown up as, you know, as a, a wish list stat that if we record, if we, we could record everything, that's something we would do. Opposition analysts would love that because if you could come across a, uh, the tape of a, a team and then their ruckman is, you know, 50% nine o'clock, suddenly you have a great way to approach centre um, bounce hitouts when, when you're sort of under the pump a bit or you need to understand a bit more about uh, the game or you're coming from behind, you can just say half the time he's going to hit it there. So... Is that? Do you need to balance bringing in new? This is a bit off the cuff for me, but do you ever balance bringing in new stats with um, giving away too too much information to opposition analysts? Like, is that a thing at all that you'd ever consider? No, uh, no, I don't. I don't think we'd ever think of it like that um, way. And again, that's probably why we have so many stats is because we're trying to service eighteen clubs at the top level, AFL clubs. But I mean, you know, we got tier two clubs, VFL, Waffle, Sample. Sometimes we have to think about them and. Uh, you know, sample have slightly different rules with their last touch out of bounds, so how we can maybe record things differently for them. But no, I don't think, I think that's why we have so many different ways of looking at it because Adelaide might want to measure handball efficiency different to Carlton. So we'll have a top line definition, but we'll try to record as much information below that. The clubs with their uh, data scientists and, you know, extracting the data might pull out a totally different formula to work out whether a handball was effective or not. Um, so no, that never comes into consideration, but it always comes into consideration about consistency and how easy it is that it is to call that. Um, so can you call it live? Who's going to call it? So again, everything that we do needs to be 
probably delivered live to the coach's box. I know pressure we spoke about is probably 30 seconds to a minute behind. Um, and that's as far behind as anything gets. So we can edit anything at quarter time that we've got wrong or missed. Uh, but the aim is to any new stat that we bring in to incorporate into our live service. Um, so if we can't do it live, it sort of loses its value. And that's when we have to throw up, whether it's worth doing uh, post-match and things like that. But no, I don't think we've ever sort of thought about, no, that's too much information to give away. It's not recorded. It's more about can we record it consistently uh, come up with a, a, a hard and fast definition. And again, does it matter to winning a game of football? Cool. Uh, next question. How is a contested defensive one-on-one measured? Like how close do you have to be uh, to the, the opposition player or to the next closest teammate? And that's from Brook Sports X. Yep. Um, again, a lot of vision examples are used to train up the staff because it is hard to get in a black and white word of definition. But when the ball's kicked, basically both players have to have a 50-50 chance of winning the ball. So we record lead targets and lead defenders. So for players, a couple of <clears throat> sorry, a couple of feet uh, steps in front of the player and it's kicked to him on the lead. That's not a defensive one-on-one. That's more of a lead contest that you've defended. Um, so again, a defensive one-on-one is just based on the opposition's kick the ball. So you're not necessarily, you don't have to be a defender in the one-on-one. We don't care who's in it. It's just if Port Adelaide have kicked the ball to a one-on-one and it's Port Adelaide playing Melbourne, they kick to a one-on-one. Port Adelaide is the offensive team in that one-on-one and Melbourne is the defensive team in that one-on-one, regardless of who the actual two players are. But again, it is, it's a measure of when the ball was kicked, were you side-by-side or standing, you know, even a little bit apart in the 450, but you were the two only players that uh, could compete for that ball. And you had a 50-50 chance of competing for it. So, again, the kick didn't didn't uh, favour either one of you two by going to one side of the contest or things like that. So, a lot of the times you'll see a one-on-one again. Um, but then when you look at the behind-the-goals vision, you'll pick up that, oh, no, that was actually a kick to a lead. But he, while he was out on the lead, the kick went a bit too high. By the time it got to camera, it looked like there was, you know, more uh, stationary and the fist got in. And we'll take away that one-on-one and put in a lead target because he, he was kicked to a lead, but, you know, all the time the ball got there stationary. So, again, yeah, a lot of uh, lot of vision examples and things like that's used to make sure we get the consistency right. You um, you must be getting a, a little bit of a dry mouth there, Christian. We've gone through a lot of questions that you've <laughs> answered really, really well. We've got two left. Um, so, the yeah, the, the um, end is near for you. Um, the second last one here from Ricky Power. If, the, if advantage is paid... Does that mean that stats are recorded for the time between the free kick being paid and advantage being paid? Does that make sense? Uh, Yes. So if your advantage is paid, yes, it will be uh, recorded. So again, probably the best example is a guy grabs the ball, gets taken high um, and the ball spills out. Sorry, no, so we're talking about stats recorded. So, and he fires off a handball, you know, the umpire calls advantage play on, he'll get the free kick, he'll get the handball. Um, the one stat that is missing, the guy that gets the advantage won't get a handball, receive or a mark. So again, that's, a, that's another interesting one that that's where we're defined by the umpire. So a guy can kick it, get clobbered in the head, uh, hit a teammate on the chest. But if the umpire's called free kick and advantage to the guy that's taken the mark on his chest, he doesn't get recorded a mark. So again, we've been accused of missing marks because this guy clearly took the mark. So well, unfortunately, the umpire's paid advantage there. We understand the action was exactly the same, but we're bound to a mark. It's, as I said, it's defined in the rules that the umpire has to award when a mark is. Um, so, yeah, advantage will we'll still keep recording as much of the play as, as, you know, relatively happens sort of thing. The one that is um, probably on top of that that's probably asked well, as well is um, 
yeah, sort of if, if the ball comes back, how far, you know, do we take it back? What do we take off? And that, again, it's all it all comes back to the umpire and where he set the mark. So sometimes you'll see three handballs in a row and you can't work out exactly where the free is. We'll have to go back quarter time, work out where the whistle was, where the ball was, where the next guy took it and work out whether it was a downfield free or the umpires actually paid the free while the ball was there. And a lot of intricacies come into it and listen to the exact uh, timing of the whistle. Um, but yeah, everything's recorded, but sort of in, in general play. Lucky last Christian, uh, another ruck question. How do you decide which ruckman gets credited with the hit out when they both appear to get an equal piece of it? It seems to be a regular occurrence. That one comes from James Plays FS. Yep. Um, again, probably I don't know how many times. Is that a good question? It's something we actually revisited and we've revisited a lot across, as I just spoke about, the five or four or five of us that work on every game to make sure we're all on the same page. It is. It's amazing. You go back and look at some of the vision of 2007, 2008, 2009. Very rarely were you seeing so often Ruckman both get equal hands to the ball. Uh, so, again, a hit-out is defined by where one Ruckman clearly wins the contest over the other. So, if you both get – again, we've got, you know, um, as most people do now, frame by frame that we can look at our vision. So, hit-outs are very hard to get live. Um, and then we go back and look at the vision. Again, if you look at the vision, they've both got their hands to it and both hitting it the same way. No hit-out should be recorded, even if it – again, if it's Gorn and Grundy, they both tap it and it goes straight to a Melbourne player. We can't give Gorn the hit-out's advantage because what we've defined a hit-out is you have to clearly beat the other one. Uh, but, yeah, it is. It's a lot of going back and looking frame-by-frame frame vision, um, getting very frustrated sometimes of really wanting to pay one and then going, no, they clearly both touch it. So I think I think it's about 85. But again, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Maybe 85% of throw-ins and ball-ups and centre bounces actually have a hit-out recorded. Um, most of the time it's, yeah, both, both of them getting their hands to it or missing it altogether. Interesting. Fascinating. I've, I've actually learned a fair bit from, from these, uh, these few questions here as well. So yeah, we might too. have to do this again later in the, in the year if we, get, uh, if we get some more questions from the punters out there. Yeah, happy to. Yeah, really appreciated the insight. And it's, is it interesting that even people like us who you know, cover footy and watch footy so much, there's still so much we don't understand about the stats landscape. So, yeah, I learned a bit too. Yeah, that, that downfield free kick and not being paid a mark because it's technically a free kick. And yeah, so there's some, some intricate little things that you need to consider, I guess, with, with every single stat. And, and because you've got such a, an elite team working behind the scenes, it's clear that we, you're not just you know, doing things differently one week compared to another, like a few people sort of think might happen. It's, it's, it's really well thought out. And um, you know, that's, why, that's why you guys are the best in the biz. Yeah, and uh, just quickly, I think our final product at the end of the day is all the stats are linked to vision. So again, the coaches and what you just spoke about, they're pouring over our vision all the time. So we can't be making, you know, we would just devalue our business. If coaches who were looking at the vision 24 seven, we're just looking at things going, well, that wasn't a tackle last week or this week or, um, and yeah, pretty solid in our feedback from the clubs that even if they don't agree with the definitions, it's consistently called the same way. So that's probably one of the good things. For sure. Um, we spoke a little bit about Ruckman during that, that segment and we spoke a bit about the D's as well. We're going to continue doing both of those things uh, because it seems, and Neil, you, you've, you've sort of raised this throughout the week that um, three of the clubs that have three of the best rucks in the league, Melbourne, Collingwood and North Melbourne, um, they seem to be struggling a little bit in terms of their midfields not getting on top of games enough. And it just, it sort of lent us to, to, ask, to ask Christian to consider um, what these ruckmen or these teams were doing wrong when it comes to winning centre clearances and, and converting such dominance from or apparent dominance from such big names into winning or scoring goals. And it just doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah. I mean, 
with that, um, I'll, I'll have a give, give Christian a bit of a uh, time out here because he's probably a bit bit dry in the mouth. But yeah, just just looking at um, Collingwood on the weekend um, and Melbourne, you know, through the season and even North Melbourne, they've got those th- those three fantastic ruckmen and and they've got some pretty powerful inside midfielders too. So you would assume that with those ruckmen winning hitouts, winning hitouts to advantage, that they would actually be smashing, you know, centre clearances, you know, scores from clearances, but all three clubs are, are really struggling in that area. So it's just something that makes you wonder whether Ruckman are actually a little bit overrated, it's, you know, certainly in recent history. A little bit overrated. They're massively <laughs> overrated. Yeah, tell I've us what you think, Jake. You might, <laughs> <laughs> you might as well uh, get what the, the Sean Grigg in there instead of, instead of Max Gorn. Well, there's no doubt Max Gorn and Brody Grundy, they're obviously good players, but... Like we're talking about it now, we're clearly seeing it. It doesn't have that. There's no correlation to good ruckman equals great premiership side. Um, I think Christian's got some numbers on um, premiers in terms of the ruckman they've gotten. The, it's been a long time since a club has won a premiership with a star ruckman that they've been that they've drafted. So, yeah, it's just more. I mean, people will disagree, but. I would rather have four really good ball winners at a stoppage than a ruckman that is generally not going to do too much because the amount of times you see some a ruckman get praise and and as Christian said before, Max Gorn is considered one of the best ruckmen, um, not just of the current era but of what he's done in the last four or five seasons is brilliant. But even he only puts it down um, one of his teammates. It, it puts it into his teammates' lap one in three times. You know, one in six times he's giving it straight to the opposition. And he's the best in the business at it. I don't see the value in it at all. Yeah, so, I mean, just talking about exactly the value of winning a hit out to advantage and, again, just going to the top-line level of the stat. Uh, if you look at the top 22 hit-out winners, so the good ruckman in the competition, when they win a hit-out to advantage, their team scores 16.7% of the time. So hit-out to advantage leads to a score of 17% of the time. A clearance will lead to a score 21% of the time. So, again, just quick snapshot there of, yes, it is more valuable to actually win the clearance than the hit-out. You've got to get the ball moving out of the stoppage. Um, but, again, looking at sort of Melbourne and Collingwood, I think... Again, just another point on Gorn and Grundy. I think the reason they're so good is because of what they do around the ground. We do see them get 20 disposals. Uh, Gorn's one of, you know, probably one of the best intercept markers that doesn't yeah, play defense. Gorn's marking, that's, his, that's to me, that's the, be- the thing he does best is the fact that he can just drop back into a hole and take those marks. And he does that really consistently. Yeah, so correct. So, But, I mean, he is he does win a hit out 57% of his ruck contest, which is the third of those, you know, top 20 ruckmen. So, doing all he can do is getting his hands to the ball. Uh, so Melbourne are first for getting their hands, first possession to the ball um, from the stoppage, but 16th for converting that into a clearance. So again, the ball falls into the lap. They've got the ball cleanly. They're not getting clean chain out of that stoppage area um, and taking it away. So the other team we will talk about just, you know, then as well as Collingwood and Grundy. So they're quite similar. I mean, they're seventh for first possessions. Grundy wins a hit out 55% of the time. So he's, you know, fourth, just one spot behind Gorn. Uh, but they're 17th for converting those first possessions into a clearance. So again, it comes down to the midfielders. When, when we talk about uh, our hit-outs overrated and that, I mean, I think they are a little bit, but in terms of you can it's, – it's one part of the game. You still rather win it than lose it. And if you can win it, and as we said, Jake, uh, Jake just pointed out, I think one in three is still a good time. If you can – from those 50-50 balls, if you can one in three times you get your hands to it, it goes to a teammate. Um, 
as a ruckman, that's all you can do. It's up to your teammates and the ground level players to convert that into clearances and um, get it out. Like the, Both those teams, midfielders, are just failing to do that at the moment. If if Gorn is one in three, what's the the tenth or twelfth twelfth best ruckman in the comp? His number is is that sort of twenty percent, ten percent, twenty five? Where is that roughly? I mean, how much is the fall away? Is, is that's that's probably what I'm looking at. If we um, look at tenth out of twenty, so it's twenty nine percent. Rowan Marshall and Riley O'Brien are both even. You know, Nat Nui's actually at twenty seven percent of the time he gets his hands to the ball to hit out to advantage, which is fourteenth of that you know, top 20-odd. So it's not much of a difference. It's, it's not yeah, much it's at all. Huge. And this, yeah. Is, yeah. this is the thing. It's like there's there's hardly any gap there at all. And, and yeah, I, I'm just someone that's always, crit- not criticised Ruckman, but just questioned the, the need to have this superstar player. Again, the, well, as, mean, the num- as the numbers say, there's more importance on winning the clearance than winning the, the Ruck contest. Of course, you'd rather win it than not. But if, if you're winning it and then it's going straight to the opposition, then why win it? The argument against is, is watching Nick Nat against the Cats on the weekend and just how he completely blew um, the Sava Radicalia and, and anyone else who came into that centre bounce apart. And he just about, apart from Josh Kennedy, single-handedly, or they together, they dual-handedly won West Coast a game after they were down by 20 points. I mean, it's, it's so hard to... You're right. I think it's really hard to define how important a Ruckman is to a ring, winning combination. And when you look at the effective uh, hit-out numbers being like a 4% difference between the third best and the 10th best player, I think you're right, Christian, when you say that it depends a lot on the midfield getting, A, their hands on the ball, and B, you know, firing off a quick couple of hand passes to then get an effective clearance because that's something that Melbourne is clearly not doing at the moment uh, when we talk about how, how they're struggling. Yeah, obviously West Coast, their midfielders are working better collectively to take advantage of what Nick Nat's offering at the centre bounces. They're just somehow got a system that's that's maybe more even or more balanced or just in better form than Melbourne and Collingwood at the moment. Maybe they're um maybe they've got a deal where they're going to three o'clock on the on the on the clock ball more <laughs> often than not and they're setting themselves for that. So maybe that is something for champion data to explore in the you future. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> the Nick Nat rule. The Nick Nat rule. Yeah. So I mean look and it's the same with, with Todd Goldstein. I mean he's he wasn't he ranked as the number one Ruckman uh, so far this season and, and North lost six in a row. Uh, leading into last week's uh, win over Adelaide. So uh, it just goes to show that you can have the big men that are really, I mean, on paper, really good. But if the rest of your team isn't working collectively together, um, you're going to struggle. So, uh, look, the value of a Ruckman, I, I can't really tell. Jake, you don't, you don't think they're that important. But I'd rather have an effective Ruckman than a non-effective Ruckman, like Christian said. Yeah, of course. I mean, of course you would. But when, if it comes down to having a dominant midfielder, a dominant key forward or a dominant... Um, full back or a dominant ruckman. You know, I think the dominant ruckman is the last last one of those four that I would take. Interesting, interesting, and fair um, fair discussion point to be honest, because I'm sure that every second or third supporter will have a different view. Uh, let's move on though, because we're running a bit over time because of that Ask Champion Data segment, which was very very good. Uh, justified hype or hyperbole? The segment where. Uh, I'll ask you guys a few statements uh, or I'll put a few statements to you and you tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Jake, one for you. Uh, Friday night double headers should stay on for 2021. Uh, uh, Yeah, they should. I quite like them. Um, Just adds a little bit more to the Friday night. Two games, start one earlier, have the other one on after it. You can have footy from sort of 7 o'clock till... uh, Oh, sorry, 6 o'clock till, you know 
mid night ish. I like it. Yep, and with the the well, I mean, most people get to sleep in the next day. It's not like you you're doing it every night. So I, I tend to agree. I mean, have a six o'clock game in Brisbane and then an eight forty five game in Perth, which is yeah. six forty five their time. Away you then go. you can have then you can have four games on the Saturday rather than five. I always find fives are just a little bit too much, too a little bit yeah. too many on the Saturday. Interesting. Neil, this is one for you because your team is involved. <laughs> we asked this last week and a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to keep asking it every week until uh, we're proven wrong. But here's my statement. Adelaide won't win a game in 2020. Uh, <laughs> so obviously Melbourne are playing Adelaide this week. So it um, be interesting to see if we're still ans- uh, asking this question uh, in next week's show. I think they will win a game. Uh, it could very well be this week, um, looking at how up and down Melbourne have been this year. And, the, and Melbourne's worst has been as bad as anyone's. But in saying that, Adelaide looked horrendous last week against North as well. Um, so I think that's hyperbole. I think they will win a game. Um, and the fingers crossed it's not this week. Christian, one for you. Uh, North Melbourne are better off without Ben Brown in the lineup. Uh Hyperbole at the moment. I mean, after one game, it's hard to tell. And as Neil just said, they they came back. They came up against um, you know team that's clearly 18th on the ladder for a reason at the moment, struggling to get everything right. But they did. Their full line looks right. Um, I I'm a big big fan of Cameron Zerha. Um, I mean, he, he his role didn't change. He does the same whether Ben Brown's there or not. But um, yeah, Larky, uh, Magic Door sort of floating in there out of the ruck. They they did. It looked very very different. Um, but after one week and playing you know, bottom of the ladder. You'd have to give it a little bit longer before you made that call. The follow-up question, maybe one without notice, but is he more valuable to North Melbourne or would he be more valuable uh, being being moved to another side? Uh, I mean, that's it's so it's hard. To yeah, it's, it's Harvey on the outside looking in. Um, yeah, I, I mean, for me personally, you'd have to, again, I don't, I don't know what contract status and, what everything's going to look like at the end of the year, but I'd be exploring his option. If I was North Melbourne, just exploring what we could get for him, I wouldn't be putting him up there and pushing him out of the club just to see. Um, but again, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. He's um, Has he won a Coleman? I always forget. He did. No, no he missed. He, no. he got pissed in the post by three years um, in a row. He's just missed out. So, yeah, how far he's sort of fallen, you know, quite quickly. He's, he, he, we do know he can kick 50, 60 goals in a year, so he has to be valuable at one of the 18 teams. For sure. Uh, Jake, I'll finish off with you. Ooh, the Gold Coast Suns have peaked in 2020. Ooh, well, if you look historically at the Suns, we, we know that they do peak earlier in the seasons. Um, so I'd probably say it's justified, maybe because they've got a few injuries. Um, I still don't think they're going to fall away and just go winless for the rest of the year, not by any stretch of the imagination. But in terms of what we saw from them early when Matt Rowe was playing so well and he was in the side and there was a bit more excitement at the start of the of the season, I'm not sure we'll see that to that, that level again this year, but certainly a lot of great signs going forward uh, for next year and beyond. Neil, are they bottom four side this year? Uh, at the end of the year, will they finish bottom four? Yeah. Um, I think they'll be around that mark. Yeah. yeah. I think they'll be sort of 15th, 16th. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, that wraps up another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast. Uh, make sure you get your tips in. If you missed out uh, on getting your tips in yesterday for the start of round, what are we up to, 10? Uh, you can still get your tips in ahead of Tuesday night's clash, so make sure you do that. The uh, Footy Tips app is updated with all the latest fixtures and all that. Uh, anything else, guys, before we call it for another week? 
this footy, 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 Matt. Footy, footy, footy. I hope you're enjoying footy frenzy. We are, and we will speak to you next week. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.